Hello, and welcome to the 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. I'm your host, Alex Heaney, the editor-in-chief of The Seventh Row. You can find us online at seventh-row.com, that's seventh-row.com, and follow The 21st Folio on Twitter at 21stfolio, that's 21st Folio. Today is a very special bonus episode in which we'll be interviewing the lovely and wonderful and super talented Maxine Peake, who played Hamlet in 2014 and 2015 at the Manchester Royal Exchange Theatre. That production was actually recorded um, over several nights and is now going to be screening in cinemas across the U.S. tonight, Um, so you can catch it. It's a wonderful production, and Maxine Peake is positively terrific in it. Last week, um, we had a multinational conference call with Maxine Peake, uh, Caitlin Merriman in New Zealand, Laura Ann Harris in Toronto, and me in California. We all um, sat down to talk to Maxine Peake about playing Hamlet, about the differences between playing Hamlet and Ophelia, about acting in Shakespeare in the theater and acting in the uh, theater in the round at the Manchester Royal Exchange Theater. We had a really wonderful discussion with her. We're really excited to share it with you. Um, I think there's a lot of insight here into uh, both how to play Hamlet and into this particular production, um, answering a lot of the questions that we sort of raised in our discussion about the production in episode six last week. Uh, We will put in the show notes links to um, a list of where you can see the production in the U.S. If uh, it's it's not coming to a cinema near you, it is available on DVD currently from Amazon UK. We'll let you know if we find out that it's going to be released elsewhere as well. We'll link to that in our show notes. And this week, uh, we'll have yet another Hamlet episode. Uh, We'll be discussing the Greg Doran Uh, David Tennant Hamlet production, which actually comes up a couple of times in our interview with Maxine Peake. So check back for our discussion of this landmark landmark production. And now, Maxine Peake. I'm the host of the podcast. Hi, I'm Laura Ann Harris. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. And um, I'm Caitlin. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, Caitlin. Lovely to meet you. We're calling you from California, Toronto, and New Zealand. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we we really love the production. We thought you were amazing. Um, So we're really excited to talk to you about it. And I guess one of the things that I'm wondering about for to sort of start with is how, if at all, do you find, do you think that being a woman playing Hamlet as a man in a production with roles that were sort of gender swapped, how did that affect your interpretation of Hamlet? Um, I think it, it's a terrible thing to say, but I think it gives it an extra edge to it, really. I think it added something to the production, I think, especially, um, you know, I mean, obviously with Hamlet, but if you're looking at uh, Polonia, from Polonia, I think that relationship between her and Ophelia, you know, I played Ophelia years ago and I found it quite a tricky part, you know what I mean? But then I think there's something about our production 
that having a mother and daughter relationship and what goes with that and the loss of a mother and a teen, you know, a young, you know, a young girl sort of, you know, an aversion sort of sexuality and whatever. So I thought it really, I think it was a really positive thing and really, really worked. And especially the way that Julie Bevin and Katie West played, you know, their respective parts. And then I just think with Hamlet as well. I mean, you know, it was playing, for me, it was playing Hamlet as, as a trans character. So it's, you know, born, born a, a woman, but feeling very much, you know, trapped, not trapped, but a woman, you know, and feeling very much male in that respect. So that's how, and I just think some of the lines really sort of sprung out. And, you know, there's always been this question, hasn't there, about Hamlet's sort of sexuality and the element, that, you know, the sort of femininity within it. And I think it fit, it just, it fitted in perfectly. Um, but I think it's one of those plays that can take a lot. It can hold a lot of sort of concept in some respects that, you know, that's thrown at it. Um, how did you sort of end up with the decision to play Hamlet as trans? Well, we sort of, um, when we'd sort of said we wanted to do it, and I always thought about playing Hamlet as a, as a man, really, or just as Hamlet as Hamlet, really. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't think of, of gender, just I'm going to play Hamlet. And myself and, and Sarah Frank and the director sort of sat and chatted a lot about it. And she said, oh, no, I think you should play it as, as female. Mm. I just didn't quite, I couldn't, I don't know. I mean, in, in regional theatres in, in England, you get sort of tops five weeks rehearsal where, you know, if you're doing it at the National Theatre or the RSE, you get about nine weeks. So we sort of had five weeks sort of intensive rehearsal. So within that, it, it just is the thing that felt came naturally to me. You know what I mean? That's what I sort of when I started and then we decided to stick with it and service said, I think that'd be, and we just felt as well with t- today and, you know, where we are. And, and I think as we wanted to do a, a piece of theatre for Manchester and that was very contemporary and looks mm-hmm. at lots of, you know, is looking at the issues of today. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's very important that, you know, I don't know, there's a, you know, there's a, a big transgender community in Manchester and, you know, we've all got, I've got friends, so I've had friends who were transgender and we just wanted to, give some representation to that as well you know so it sort of fitted yeah so I mean because there are all these other characters in the in the production that were gender swapped was that something that came out of the decision for you to you to play Hamlet as well I guess as transgender or was that how did that come about I think that was Sarah had always wanted Polonius to be Polina she'd sort of always had that idea in her head before we'd sort of decided how I was you know I was going to tackle Hamlet and then it was really about just getting a group of actors together. And, you know, she just wanted to make the cast. She's, I mean, what Sir Frank was doing at the exchange, and, I mean, she has, you know, people have sort of said she's the sort of forefront of sort of the modern feminist theatre in, in our country. And, but I don't think Sarah really thinks like that. She just gets the best actors for the job. But she did want a 50-50 split within the cast. You know, we're very conscious uh, nowadays about, about, obviously about diversity and about gender casting. And, how, you know, it's very difficult. For, for women at the moment so you know she just decided and we got um uh, Claire Benedict who played Marcella's Marcellus and played the play queen and it just I sort of forgot that these roles have been swapped you know what I mean it just it seemed to just work so yeah it was it was about you know having you know not doing a cast that's you know the usual Hamlet there's a couple of women in there you know two women and the rest of men it was about giving mm-hmm. you know and then deciding with the roles then who did, you know, did what. But we'd auditioned Claire and, and, you know, she's fantastic. So we decided, 
you know, for the play Queen, because she's got that beautiful voice, you know, and she's got an amazing, she's an amazing classical actress. I saw her play Medea when I was about 16 at the Royal Exchange and was completely blown away by her. So it was really exciting to work with, with her. Speaking of the fact, because I mean, you had mentioned that you'd played Ophelia before. And yeah. if you look at like, you know, Hamlet and Ophelia, what completely different roles, especially when you look at how much text there is to play with um, yeah. and how much dialogue. And I'm wondering, I mean, and you've played other, you know, actual like female characters that like um, when you did Doll Tearsheet in The Hollow Crown, um, yeah. which doesn't have a lot of a character that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. But I think you did it so well. It had such presence. And I'm wondering what was the difference between, you know, tackling Hamlet where there's so much text and so much to play with compared with some of the, a lot of the other female characters in Shakespeare where there's so little and it, there's so much of it is, you know, what you're bringing to the, just what you're bringing yeah. to the role. Well, I mean, for me, the, my first foray into Shakespeare was a Ophelia about 12 years ago. Um, and that's called Christopher Eccleston. He's done quite mm-hmm. He played Hamlet. And I find it really difficult because she doesn't have a, her through story is very difficult. And it's some, you know, you get sort of, you know, scoffed at by sort of Shakespeare sort of aficionados when you, you know, when you sort of say that. But I found it a really, really hard part. And I didn't particularly enjoy it because she doesn't have, she sort of comes on stage, she disappears. Everything in Ophelia's story really happens off stage, which is really frustrating as a, as a, an, an actor. And I suppose you realize, you know, and back in the day, it was, this is probably because it was young men playing the roles that, you know, they weren't, the female roles weren't as fully developed in a way. I don't know. But I, I so I, so in a way, actually, Hamlet, even though it was a monster of a part to learn, at least in some respects, it was easier finding your journey and your intentions and your actions. Where, um, yeah, I think my Ophelia started mad and just got madder. You know what I mean? I didn't really, mm-hmm. I didn't quite. Yeah, I found the diff- I found the story quite difficult. So when I first played Ophelia, I thought, right, okay, I think she's already in a, a quite fragile place, and 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 then it just gets progressively worse. Um, but I think what Katie and Sarah did in our production, I thought was fantastic because you really got you, she starts off as she's a fight, you know, she's a feisty Ophelia. She's strong. She's got opinions. She's you know. Um, she's got personality. She's a, a fully formed young woman who then, you know, and not and a lot of the time people go, oh, Ophelia goes mad because of Hamlet's, you know, rejection, which I was kind of slightly naughty, and that's quite a male point of view that you know somebody gets dumps and then goes mad. <laughs> but in I think our production, you saw it was a woman, you know, a young woman who's lost a mother at a very important time in her life and has been rejected by her mum. But it's, you know, I, I never felt that that was Ophelia's main cause of of her descent into madness was was Hamlet's rejection it was she was a victim in this this court you know she was used as a pawn you know in this political game and you you got the sense of it all sort of coming down and weighing her down so yeah Laura yeah congratulations on your performance it was wonderful and I just was wondering you partially answered this question but how much discussion did you have with your director in terms of using your sexuality as a tactic within the play? Yeah, it was it was it was really funny because I it was a real eye opener for me because obviously I was playing Hamlet as you know sort of trans, but then somebody was very in sort of touch with the sort of masculine side, and what I felt he gained from the power that comes with that and the slight arrogance of. I don't know. <laughs> so it was, 
yeah, it was interesting the relationship with Ophelia because I've always seen um, productions and gone, oh, I never quite Ophelia in Hamlet, you know, I never quite get the connection. But actually, when I started to play it, I thought Hamlet's quite arrogant when it comes to Ophelia, and I think all the women within the play, and you know, I don't know whether he was, apt, you know, in love, you know, completely in love with her, or was, but could quite easily switch his emotions off because it was about him and about his survival, and he was number one. You know what I mean? It was a real eye moment to go. Oh well, this is what it's like in a man's world, you know, to mm-hmm. to feel you are top of the pile, and especially as a prince as well. So it feels that like everything revolves around you. But within scenes with like Polina, you know, Polonia, that that yeah, he does use his his sexuality, even though it's you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of flirting going on and a lot of yeah, sort of possession of his of his sexuality that he felt was was a tool he could use against people. Mm. Which is very different that I think that women use their sexuality as a don't use it quite as a weapon that men yeah there's a callousness to it mm. that I was really really interesting that I'd never sort of experienced before because obviously I was I'm a female and played female parts you know so mm-hmm. that's really interesting that side of it mm-hmm. yeah um I also was wondering how did you feel about moving the to be speech to after Polonius death and if you had any reservations about that or if you had any discussion with the director in regards to the movement of that speech well I mean Sarah just said I'm going to move it and I completely (laughs) trust her implicitly so I said great move it Mm -hmm. I always if Sarah's got an idea very rarely we sort of go well well, you know and she's very good and I got well I'm not so sure about that and then we'll sit down and discuss it and I was like, fine. And actually, I think it, for me, it worked again with Hamlet's journey after the murder then to sit and have that moment and it imbued the speech with more meaning, I felt, you know, where it comes initially. It feels like it slightly jumps out of sort of nowhere in some respects after his sort of encounter with Ophelia. So for me, I was really happy with the positioning, you know, of, of the speech and it, it, it felt it it made the play motor along more. And I, and I think it made it, it clearer about where Hamlet Hamlet was, um, you know, emotionally at that point and what the speech is is about, you know. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't I couldn't agree more, actually. I thought it was a fantastic placement of the speech. Now I was sharing with an actor friend of mine uh how great your performance was and she celebrated like wholeheartedly about a woman playing a famous male role and how do you, how important do you think is it is for theater companies to open more opportunities for women to play famous Shakespearean male characters? I know it's been done before, but I'm just sort of wondering what your take is on that. Yeah, I think it's really important, and I think it shouldn't be an issue now. I think a theater oh. should just go, oh, we're going to do King Lear, we're going to do Richard III, oh, and actually we're going to cast a woman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just hopefully now I'm... You know, I'm I'm sort of thinking, come on, when's the next Hamlet going to be? Don't I don't want people to sit now and go, oh well, Maxine Peake's just done it, so that's a female just done it, so we'll have to wait <laughs> for years. And that's not the idea. The idea is now that you set a precedent that people, you know, more and more people do it. But it, it, sometimes in corporate, it's not sort of backfired. Then people will sit on it for about another five years and then feel that oh, it's okay because at one point in in England, I think we had sort of four male Hamlets on in, in one year, you know, Roy Kinnear, John Sim, there was like a David Tennant, there was a role in Hamlet, and I think, that why is that not happening with, with female? You know, please don't now not touch it for a while, because it wasn't, a no- I don't want people to think it was a novelty, you know what I mean, or some sort yeah. of, you know, um, yeah, so 
I think it's really important. And, you know, it's given me the confidence now to go Brett. You know, next Shakespeare role. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. like when people right. mention female Shakespeare roles, I go, really? No, I'd rather play the <laughs> third or, or Henry the Fifth. You know, it, I sort of ruined it now. But I've never, I've always found those female roles difficult. You know, I've always found them very difficult and slightly unfulfilling. There's a few, you know, but they're not, you know, they, they're always, yeah, creatively, they're not great. And I just hope now that, and I've, what is interesting, a lot of, young drama students I've spoke to have said they're at drama school they're now doing Hamlet for a speech or they're doing Richard the second or Richard the third they're not just looking at Lady M or you know uh, Polina or Hermione they've now opened the doors for them to go right well I'll, I'll do and why not I mean I thought oh god in 2016 why is why have we not done that before I never even you know because you just didn't do it and hopefully now that's just changed things that you know that more theatres will go why not it's been done and you know best person for the job and that's usually a female (laughs) (laughs) awesome so you mentioned Richard III and Henry V are there other parts that you're now itching to play yeah yeah I'd really love to have a go I'd love to have a go at Richard III yeah really love to have a go at that and especially for you know playing it as a female but you know do I, I, I suppose I never really want to go into those parts going I'm male or female it's just this is a part this is I yeah. want to tackle it as the part you know mm-hmm. yeah. so um but yeah I think there's there's a Henry V with a wonderful actress called Michelle Terry that's going on at Regent's Park she's going to be playing Henry V I think that's over the summer Regent's Park in uh, in London so that will be exciting mm-hmm. um, but yeah those are the parts I would like to tattle more more parts and you know if I'm, I'm still around when the time King Lear would be a, a great one and I'm really excited Glenda Jackson is going to play um, again in autumn she's going to play King Lear she's she's stepped away from politics now and gone back into acting so that's that's going to be a very special production thing. I understand the chorus of uh, praise for your production it was amazing uh, I just wanted to know what was your experience in terms of the like audience uh, interaction um, in your performance um, what were you aiming for and what was it actually like to experience yeah, I think we'd always sort of set off. Sarah and myself, two years ago, we'd done, uh, three years ago, we'd done, um, we did a performance of Shelley's Mask of Anarchy in Manchester. And literally, I stood in an old Wesleyan chapel, an old Methodist chapel, um, surrounded by candles and recited uh, uh, Shelley's, you know, 93 verse epic poem about the Peterloo massacre, which happened in Manchester, where um, there was a peaceful demonstration in 1819 and about 16, 17 people got murdered um, you know, by the charging sort of soldiers. They, they brought the military in and they got sabred. And we did this. So it was literally myself stood on the stage and every night we thought 10, 20 people might turn up. And we sort of, I think the, the place filled to 2000 so we sold out every night and it was just extraordinary the connection with the audience and the audience because it, it was something very local and 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 where we would perform and it was across the road from the event so I'm rambling but that was a real eye-opener for myself and Sarah about how the audiences in Manchester were really behind really behind you know uh, the theatre in Manchester and you know creative you know the creative outlets in Manchester, and um, and just they were really up for it. They, they were really eager and keen. So when we with Hamlet, we said we've got to do that again. We've got to get that sort of connection, especially the soliloquies. You know, really sort of connecting with the audience. And that is a play. What will you forget at those plays? For me, Hamlet was the audience are always there in all the scenes. 
not even just in the soliloquies, I felt my Hamlet was always a word was being watched. And he was, it was a play, even though you, you know, you're within, you, you know, you're within the world, but there is something that you can't get away from that there's, there is an audience. So they were like another character within the piece. And I think that, that connection with them was very, was really important, you know, and especially, you know, and, and they were brilliant. They just really came with it. I thought, oh, crikey, they're going to go female Hamlet. Not so sure, you know, um, but again, we sold out and we had to extend because I think people are really eager for something that's a bit more, you know, a bit different, a bit groundbreaking, a bit exciting, you know. So we was really over the moon about the support from the, you know, the audiences. How did you find that the, because I mean, the, the stage had the audience surrounding it all, all the way around. Yeah. Um, how did that affect things? Well, that's this the layout for the Royal Exchange anyway. And for me, I love that space. I mean, I I am from I'm local anyway, and I live there now. I didn't used to, I used to live in London, but I moved back, and then I started a relationship with Sarah. You know, an artistic relationship, creative relationship. So you know, usually once a year, I'll I'll I go back and do something. But that I think that space is fantastic. It's really difficult then to go to a proscenium March theatre because of the connection, because even though it's a seven hundred seater. So from where we, you know, it goes up to two layers. It's based on it's based on the original Globe Theatre. So you've got this very intimate space downstairs. So it feels like a studio theatre in some respects. And then you've got layer three layers going up of, you know, but sort of straight up. It's not on, you know, it doesn't come down at a slant. It's, the, you know, directly above you, the audience. So, um, but there's something about that intimacy. I think that really adds, you know, really feeds in for me. And that becomes, you have to really take that into account as a performer on that stage, that it isn't, it can't be too introspective. It can't be the fourth wall. You know, the audience are there and you've got to, you know, you've got to acknowledge them. Because if you don't, it really reads on that. If you don't let the audience in, that's when players in that space sort of, you know, you can feel them dying in a way, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I mean, and we do joke about it because they, they'll come in sometimes the audience on a Saturday matinee and they've all been shopping and there's, they, they call the bonquettes, these little seats at the front that you can get on the day for like £10 and that little, looks like a sofa at the front and you sit on there, but they bring the shopping sometimes and one actor said to me, have you got any advice for that stage? I said, you just watch, you don't get your leg entangled in a shopping bag and you'll be fine. <laughs> That's, you know, sometimes you're walking around, be, you know, people are, a bit of shopping or they've been to the supermarket and there'll be bags and but no I love that I love the fact that it's it's yeah it's it's inclusive it's a really inclusive space and I think Hamlet's a very inclusive player so it, I think it worked perfectly in that space. What how did having cameras in the theatre change for the filmed version change the performance if at all or your experience of it? Yeah, it's difficult because initially when they sort of approached us to film it, I wasn't that sure because at the end of the day, we had decided we wanted to make this a very specific piece of theatre for Manchester and a piece of theatre. And then they said, you know, somebody wants to come and film it. And and I sort of thought, what effect will that have, especially when the audience are in? And thought, I don't want people changing the performance for the camera when there's people who've paid good money to sit in the theatre and watch it. So... um yeah, it was interesting, and then seeing because I did actually watch. I've seen this. I've seen um, the film once. We went. To, we had a screening of it, and it's tough because watching it from an eye of a, a screen actor, there was a, there would have been a lot I would have changed. But I'm sort of glad I didn't because at the end of the day, it was filmed over two two nights. So some of it I think is very large for the camera to take. But you know, it, you 
you know, you've got to keep reminding people it was a, a theatrical production that was filmed. And I know some of the actors did slightly sort of mute the performances a little bit, which I think worked, but then it wouldn't, you know, at the end, like I said, at the end of the day, my main concern was the people who'd pay tickets to to come and watch it. So it was, it's a difficult, it's a really difficult one to watch. I, I found it quite painful, really. You know, and it, I, you know, it's one of those things, I think, I don't know, maybe if I did a production again that was filmed, I'd say maybe we film it when there isn't an audience and we do it. Because then it gets compared to, you know, it was being, people were comparing it the other day to sort of David Tennant's Hamlet, but then they filmed it without an audience. You know what I mean? It's very different. It's a very different experience and you must never forget the audience. So, but yeah, I think if I had my time again, I'd maybe say, you know, maybe we'd um, film it on a separate occasion more for the camera but I mean it seems to have you know I think we sort of got away with it so (laughs) it seems to be okay you know but it's it was it was a difficult watch yeah with the size of the performance but yeah there there are a few line readings um in your performance that are different from the traditional or obvious ones like kissing Ophelia and saying you should not have believed me or standing upright while saying I'm dead Horatio um are these moments something that you and the director talked about and looked for or uh, for deliberately creating or did they arise in rehearsal I think the moment with Ophelia sort of just arose in rehearsal but the I am dead Horatio Sarah was we'd sort of done some research about poisoning and Sarah didn't want this you know sort of she said you know I think you feel the sort of you know the poisons going through your body you realize you know you don't feel very well you know so it was yeah and I think in that space as well you know lying down is quite difficult <laughs> but we'd, we'd sort of you know because initially I was doing lots of acting and she went oh no 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 let's make it very simple and you know it's the end of the play and you know so it was yeah it was I think it was Hamlet's realization that yeah I'm next and I don't feel great and yeah coming to terms with it rather than actually physically going mm. oh I, I'm you know I'm going now it was yeah but it was lots of it you know lots of the sort of lines. I mean some you do have to incorporate the space and then sometimes it was just what came out in sort of rehearsal but I sort of liked uh, there was something about the fact of Hamlet you know stood at the end and coming to terms with his death, which I think the beautiful thing about the play is in the second half that he does start to come to terms with his own mortality, you know, and that, yeah, come at, you know, that, that what will be will be, you know, and that maturity that then he sort of, you know, grows into that isn't there in the first half of the play. So, yeah. Your performance draws on a repertoire of gestures and movements that characterise Hamlet as recognisably 21st century. Um, how did you go about developing his character this way? Um, it's just one of, it just sort of came really. I mean, I suppose through costume, we we'd um, had a big discussion about where we were placing, you know, where we were going to place it, and, and where, especially where Wittenberg was and what Wittenberg was about. And we'd sort of come, we were sort of you know sort of Berlin or round sort of Greenwich Village you know it was a very we wanted that Hamlet went to a very sort of, I know Wittenberg is quite you know if it's more 
theological sort of studies. But I think we wanted that he'd gone to quite a bohemian, he'd had a very bohemian sort of student life, you know what I mean, maybe doing film studies or something, you know. I think our course was a film was a subversive art was the course that I was doing. So he had this, you know, this very sort of bohemian life mixing with, you know, people from all walks of life who probably didn't know he was a prince. I don't think many, maybe Wells and Cranston Guildenstern, but everyone else, you know, didn't. Um, and then feeding that back into coming back into court and what that what that meant. So I suppose that came from, you know, we were looking at images of David Bowie, Tilda Swinton, all these sort of, you know, these androgynous, very cool sort of people, you know, and their style. And, yeah, and it just felt very sort of, you know, we wanted something modern without overlaying it, without being, you know, bashing it on the head. So it's that, the, I think the physicality and the gestures came just came you know sort of came from that that backstory and, and that that work that we did you know off script really mm-hmm. and that there's something you know boyish and and yeah physical it felt very physical Hamlet felt felt very physical to me very full of life and there's this energy of course in Rome that needs to sort of get out you know as a, a sort of young person who's you know it's, it's wound up and angry there's a lot of anger I think I think I remember sort of my experiences of grief has been the surprise about how angry I was about it, you know, and 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 the different energies that you expect. So that was something I sort of tapped into was was that anger, and especially in maybe somebody's a little bit younger and can't quite hasn't had time to sort of process it or articulate it. So yeah, that fed through with the physicality. And just sort of speaking of that, I mean, I'm. One of the things that was really interesting that I really liked was that, especially in the earlier part of the production, the line deliveries are actually really quite fast and at quite a clipped pace. And I'm yeah. wondering um, how both that decision sort of came about and then how that affected you sort of physically delivering them that way. Yeah, again, I think it was motivated by sort of the energy of the sort of anger and and, and grief and just this tumbling. I think Hamlet's mine much quicker than than his mouth in a way so it was trying to get all these thoughts out and once they're out then trying to decipher them you know what I mean there is all that there's always the the, the rule in Shakespeare isn't it that that you know, everything said is meant everything is a thought there's not much subtext to Hamlet which, you know to to Shakespeare which I think is is right I mean that's one of the saving graces I think of playing a part like that you don't you know a lot of parts where you have a lot of subtext sometimes you can take that home with you I think Hamlet it's what he says is what he means. You know what I mean? It's out there with all Shakespeare. It's it's spoken. It's not, you know. So um, yeah. And I think the speed probably the speed did come uh, probably because we did know we had. You know, it's a, it's a long all night. And I think there could have been a world in a day performance that was slightly more indulgent and using the language more. But I think it was about making it fast and pace it for an audience. You know, we you know that. It's a long, it's a big ask to ask people to sit for sort of three, just over three hours to watch a Shakespearean play, especially where, you know, they might not grasp every part of the language for us, but there's an element to, you know, getting on with it as well. I think if we're being quite, you know, sort of honest about it, is that speedy and fast and high energy to keep people sort of attention going, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I thought that there was a lot of, the language was amazing that, um, you know, that, that in some ways that the speed of it actually helped with the understanding of it. And I'm wondering, because I know that at some point it sort of starts to slow 
down a little bit. And yeah. I'm wondering how yeah. that how that sort of decision came about where you were deciding where to slow that down. Well, I think I don't know whether it read, and I know it's difficult because you don't really get the passage of time from Hamlet leaving, you know, leaving the court to go to England to come back, and you know the old stuff with the pirates and the ship, and you know and that that story that was. It's sort of that's a bit in Hamlet that I sort of go, ooh, ooh, it sort of jars a bit, you know what I mean? Off he goes, and then tells this, you know, Rosen gets Rosen Cranston uh, Gildenstern dispatched, and you know, so for me it was about coming back from that about with a sort of more of a maturity, more of a groundedness. It's sort of Hamlet slightly realising his place in society now and that he can make a change. You know, myself and Sarah were sort of saying, you know, if he, you know, and it is in, you know, in the play, but he would come back and be sort of like the people's prince, you know what I mean? A prince of the people, probably more sort of socialist leanings maybe, but somebody really, you know, took into account his kingdom and the people within it. Uh, when he uh, was ruling. So I think that was an element as well of trying to portray a bit more gravitas with Hamlet, a little bit more maturity, a little bit more, you know, been through some experiences now and learnt a little bit more about life, you know, and just that the play gets slightly more, it's difficult, you know, the second half is 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 t- is quite difficult, I think, and probably not as easy to to work through as so but yeah it was that was the main that my man Sarah and myself's main idea was by the second half you what hopefully you see that he has grown up a little that he has sort of grown into you know grown into himself but it is quite difficult because it's trying to get that passage of time in there and then back he comes you know so um because the second half is quite so difficult what was sort of the strategy for tackling that like in rehearsal and making sure that you were able to have time to sort of work through that yeah and again it's always hard with these um you know productions like this because you do you know five weeks isn't a long time and usually the end of the play doesn't get um looked at probably as much as the you know and some of those are speeches with with Horatio I found really difficult where they you know he comes back and said you know telling him the story about what happened you know on his on the, the you know on the ship and making sense of that and trying to make sense of it to, to the audience, you know. But it was about trying to keep it sort of as simple as possible, really, and as, as sort of as, as close as possible. But because, again, with the exchange, it's, it's a space that, there, you know, there isn't – you can't really have a lot of set. It gets in the way. You can't – you know, it's got to be as sparse as possible. So, yeah, yeah, I don't really know what – but it was – yeah, I think it was just – it became more about the words in the second half. It was about more – getting the meaning of and I think we're conscious about it it's slightly harder to understand as you know um it, you know it, it, the story sort of dips off a bit you know I always say and I'll probably get lynched for this but you know if, if Shakespeare was a play right now somebody would take it in hand and go your timeline's a bit wrong here love we just need to have a look at this and maybe swap things around <laughs> and just cut that and and then there you go but you you can't really say that, can you? Because then people think, you, you know, it's that one of those, <laughs> you being ridiculously arrogant. But, you know, it's not as, because Sarah, the, the director, works a lot with new writing. And this was her first Shakespeare uh, production. So we looked at it like a new player. So you do really start to find bits that you go, this is not me, mm, confused now. So that was, so when was that? That's two months ago, but I was still here then. So there's those elements that, you know, were quite difficult to tackle. 
Um, and we did tackle some of them. I just cut it stuff. I just have to cut it. You know, I mean, again, that's we did cut quite a bit. And I know people don't like that. But I do think, you know, you do that with a modern player now, a contemporary player. You'd cut it. You'd go, we don't need that. We don't need this. So I don't see why you can't do that with Shakespeare. You know what I mean? It depends on each production and how you're doing it. And I think it was a modern production. And, you know, I don't, I don't see why he should, you know, he can't be edited like other playwrights. So, yeah. Um, because you only had the five weeks of rehearsal, did you? Were you, what was your preparation process beforehand, if there was any? Um, I'd had a couple. I'd had sort of a week before where I'd been myself and Sarah just sat down together in a room for sort of five days and went through it line by line, sort of what we thought I was sort of talking about before going into a room with a lot of other actors and then me going. Mm. So it just became it got a lot of that out of the way. Although the, you know those questions still came up as we went through it, but just to get it you know where we are what I'm saying what this scene's about just basic really we sort of always do that we always sort of go look when we've done stuff before we have at least a couple of days where we go let me let me inside get in a room and just just because it saves everyone else having to sit around while you know I'm going through these big speeches it's, just, it's sort of time saving and it and, and usually you know with the smaller parts people have come in and they've got more of an idea where they're going with it and you don't want to hold them up in their process so that was it really and I started learning the lines probably a couple. I learned all the soliloquies before I started rehearsing, and then yeah. But it was the line learning was tough, you know. As we got towards the end of the five weeks, there was still a bit the chunk of the, it. Is, the stuff that was tough to learn is like anything that you couldn't quite, I couldn't quite get on top of what I was saying, you know, fully. So, but then once you crack that, then it you know becomes easy. But um, yeah, I did, you know, I did, and lots of watching, lots of other people's productions of Hamlet. <laughs> Spent a lot of time. I mean, I'd seen quite a few anyway, but just going double checking, and that was to go. Wonder what I am saying here, and then I'd go and put, oh, there's Derek Jacobi on YouTube. I'll just put that in. Ah, that's what. Ah, right, that makes sense now. So the yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite happy to admit that I did a lot of um, watching other people's product. You know, just to sort of help make sense of the lines. You know, so yeah. How did you find that the performance and production sort of changed across the period? As it was on for a. Not sure how long it was on for. It was seven weeks. Seven, seven, seven weeks. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I never. I just wanted those. I for me, that's the beauty of theatre is you you know your lines, and every night you wait to go on, and then once the door opens, whoever comes out, you you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. it's about that night, what the other actors are feeling on that night on the stage. It's about reacting. Acting, acting is basically reacting, isn't it? So for me, it was about yeah it did change it changed a lot it just changed a lot depending you pick up on different things you hear different things some nights I mean throughout the run I was going oh that's what that means now you know what I mean you were every night there's little light bulb moments that you went all right it's taking me somewhere different now because now I get it you know what I mean oh I thought I got it and now "Ah, that doesn't mean that at all does it so it was brilliant for that you know just it was really exciting and I, I never overthink I just think the door you know you stand it's you know in the round and the audience can see you come in waiting and the you know you get two ushers at the door open the door and for me I literally stand there take a few deep breaths the door opens then you just go on and see what happens I never pre-plan thinking oh this is what I'm gonna and you just hope each night you top the night before that's all you can sort of put. and sometimes you know and a lot of the time you don't and you come off and go oh god that was terrible but you think it's all right I'll do it again tomorrow night and you're learning all the time so it changes all the time so and um, and especially the actors I'm working with, it was a fantastic company, and they were very up for, 
especially Jodie McNee and Peter Singer with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I mean, some nights, I mean, me and Joe, I mean, there's a few nights where we nearly corpse because, you, you know, especially in the after the play scene, some of the stuff, I didn't do it the same every night. But they were, I knew they were fine with that. And, they, and Georgie especially really enjoyed that. She's, you know, a sort of similar sort of actor. So she sort of, yeah, she'd just go with what I threw at her. But sometimes we, you know, I would catch her eye and I could see she was in a bit of shock, you know. But but I think that's what keeps it fresh and interesting. And I think, you know, and especially, yeah, you know, and that, that amount of time to be on stage and for an audience to sit with you for that amount of time. So, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I like, yeah, I just like to keep it fresh and and. And it's just fun. It makes it more fun for you. And I think for everybody else. I know some actors don't like it. And though, and then I saw, I found the actors who were like, no, I, I like to do it the same every night. That's how I work. And you go, okay, well, I won't, I won't mess with, I won't mess about with you then. That's fine. But then, you know, you, you meet actors that you go, oh yeah, you, you quite like it when we mix it up a bit. So, yeah. Um, you were talking about cutting, uh, cutting stuff. Um, was the decision to cut Fortinbras, Fortinbras's plot from it pretty much completely um was that sort of mostly just about time or was it also about that sort of simplicity pairing it down to just family relationships yeah of? well I think what had happened we'd worked with the Michael Grandage Jude Law script which they'd cut mm-hmm. that originally and I think you know at the end of the day we were looking at a family drama I think that was the thing that appealed to Sarah and myself the most was it was a drama about a family it's about a family and that means that's, that's something everyone can relate to. You know, I always got confused with the Fort and Brass stuff. I'm like, oh, what's going on now? Well, no way, what? I'm a bit lost. And there is in a world that that's, that's great. And that does add, add a different element to the production. But we'd always wanted to do it just, as, I suppose, as simple and as clear as possible. You know, and I think, yeah. And, it, and then it does make it a lot longer. You know, and... And you have just got, you've got to take into account as well. People have got to get home from the theatre at night. City centre Manchester, I don't know what the public transport's like where you are. Mm-hmm. But you do have to take, there's lots of silly mundane, slightly ordinary things you do have to sort of take into account. But I think it was initially, we just wanted to do it as a, it was a family drama. They happened, it happened to be a royal family. But we wanted to make it that other people could go, oh yeah, I see those dynamics between family and and, you know, mother and father or mother and, you know, uncle and son or, you know, we wanted to make it as accessible as possible. And I just think, do you really need, I know some people are very sort of, you know, don't like it when you take away from us, but we didn't feel our production needed it. It wasn't about, you know, that side of it, the war, the military side of it. It was about sort of Hamlet and his development as a, a young person. So, Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. You were working from the Michael Grandage script. How did you then sort of figure out where you wanted to make the, make additional cuts or add things back in? Yeah, I mean, we did. We we sort of didn't. I don't think we added anything. I think we cut more. I don't know that we cut another. I think we did. I can't remember the, the other soliloquy was originally cut. And then just bits going through. <laughs> you know, it's just bits that sort of didn't work or, you know, speeches that you just go, you know what, actually, it doesn't need to be that long, really. You, again, we're looking at the production we were doing, we're looking at the audience that we're playing to, and we have to take all that into account, you know. Um, um, like I said, we wanted it contemporary and fast and, you know, accessible. So there was just bits that weren't really, well, we've got that, or we don't need that, or, 
Yeah, so there's lots of little snips that two or three lines came out or little bits of chunks of things came out. Um, but that was it, really. It was just tight, tightening it up a little bit, you know what I mean, every now and again, just going, actually, haven't we said that? We've sort of said that. That's all right. It can go. It's fine, you know. And did not and try not to look at it as once you start going, it's all right, it's all right. It is Shakespeare, but it's fine. You know, we're in that, you know, it's fine. There's nobody, there's no Shakespeare in academics watching, so we can do, you know, and this wasn't a play for them. That's not, you know, it won't be a play that a Shakespearean production that appeals to everybody. And we weren't planning on doing that. You know, we know there'll be purists who will come in and and say, no, you know, but we, I don't, I didn't have any complaints. I don't, you know, and people that I know who, you know, sort of Shakespeare aficionados. I didn't have anybody coming going, oh, well, you cut this and you cut that. And, you know, because I think a lot of people actually probably didn't didn't really notice, you know. There's certain people who know. I remember one night somebody said Derek Jacobi's in and then I went into a cold sweat because I thought, well, they'll know every single line. It was a friend of mine who's not an actress and she just texted me going, oh, Derek Jacobi narrates is a programme over here, children's programme called The Night Garden. She was somebody who went to school, which is not an actress, which really made me laugh because she got really excited because Derek Jacobi, you know, one of our most classic, brilliantly classical actors. And, you know, it's this kid program. She just texted me saying, I'm just in the foyer and I've just seen Derek Jacobi. And I remember thinking, I could kill her. But like, she doesn't realise. <laughs> and I did panic because I thought, he'll be sat there going, I know, every, you know, no. And, he, you know, that wasn't a good night, actually. That was quite <laughs> But you've just got to, you know, we'd made it clear to people that it wasn't going to be, you know, the full production that we'd made cuts and you know how it was going to be and I think people went with it you know so it was really good uh something that came up for me and maybe this isn't uh an easy question to answer but I sensed with Horatio and Hamlet there was some sort of deeper history there that kind of was deeper than just friendship but I'm just sort of wondering if I was reading into things or if there was some discussion about their relationship yeah no no that's really um that's really because it was one of those things that came out with with their relationship that actually Hamlet did you, you know because I don't know as, as well it's, it, nobody ever nobody's sexuality is I don't think it's particularly black and white is it you know what I mean I think no. and I, so I just felt that the Hamlet had a yeah they had feelings for Horatio you know what I mean there was definitely some sort of you know a deep love there for for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not quite. I don't think Hamlet could quite put his finger on what it what it was. You know, whether it was sexual or what. But there was definitely some. There was a real admiration, and the, you know, this 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 man who you know, Rachel obviously loves Hamlet to death. Was thick, thick and you know, through thick and thin for him. So there was a real, yeah. Sarah does this this um, exercise where we have to write letters. You have to your character. You have to pick another character, and you have to write them a letter, and then. Mm-hmm. You fold it up and give it to Sarah. And I don't, she says sometimes she reads them, sometimes she doesn't. But it's te- confessing to them or telling them something, a secret. And and I just remember getting an overwhelming feeling that I had to sort of tell Horatio how I sort of felt about him. I did really sort of love him and I couldn't quite, and I know this would ruin our friendship, you know, sort of one of those things. <laughs> I don't have on it, but I feel there's, you know, I've got these very strong feelings for you. So I'm glad you picked up on that because I don't know whether... Some people, you know, a lot of people did, but yeah, it was, yeah, and I'd always felt that with Hamlet and Horatio. Anyway, there's, there's so, there's such a strong connection. They're so close, you yeah. know. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I've known Tom, and I suppose it helped because I was at drama school with Tom. I've known him for such a long time. I've never worked with him. I've not seen him for years. And so sometimes there's just a nice shorthand, and he's such a lovely, he's a fabulous actor, but he's such a great, solid guy, you know, really. So he made it very easy, you know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Is there something else, Laura? No, no. Uh, Caitlin? Nope, nope, all done. <laughs> <laughs> okay well um thank you very much it was oh, really great talking to oh, you yeah. oh no really yeah. enjoyed thank you thank you for your questions <laughs> yeah thank you very much um yeah so we're um if you the we'll be posting the our interview on our podcast which is called the 21st folio it's all about modern shakespeare productions of stage and screen oh, um, oh yeah, yeah i'll look out for that oh great all right thank you okay, well, thank you thanks so much, much. Take care. And that's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. Check back next week for a new episode discussing new Shakespeare productions. To keep up with the latest episodes, don't forget to subscribe to the 21st Folio podcast on iTunes. For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-row.com.